Ward. And Dan Turkey. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 14. 14. That's a lot. That's more than 13. By, yeah, by a little bit, but just enough. <laughs> okay. Uh, shall we jump right into news, Dan? Let's shall. Not too much news this week. All I have is toy solicitations. The John Stewart action figure in the Ed McGuinness art style. You have that? I do. That's I like it. I like it's uh it's nice and cartoony, but not like overly cartoony, like like I mean I love JLU and all that, but sometimes the sculpts just get to me a little bit. Right. Like with their like their really like beefed up torso, but well not even torso, just like their upper body and like the chest area is just like gigantic and they have like these skinny little legs. I mean yeah. they look great in a group, but if you just have one figure it looks kinda weird. It's very minimalistic. Yeah, which I like. But you know. Well, I have something that I think mm-hmm. you're gonna want to pick up. In that same Ed McGinnis style, they're coming out with Kyle Rayner, his original Kyle Rayner costume. Really? Yes. Is this in the, the new previews or whatever? Or it's shipping in like August or something? Or? I'm not sure of that yet. I haven't gotten a hold of that one yet. But it's in the most recent issue of Toy Fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, these definitely won't be released anytime soon. The release date is like 2010. What? What the hell? Why? Well, it takes a while to get these things ready, I guess. This this wave of action figures will contain Aquaman with his hook hand. Batgirl, the more recent one with the face mask, like, covering her whole face. Cassandra Kane. That's the one. And Superman Blue. Are you serious? Electric yes. Blue Superman? Yes. Did Ed McGinnis ever draw Kyle? I... I'm not really sure. I don't know if he's actually drawn any of these characters. I went to Newsarama just now. Okay. And they have um, they have these figures at the bottom of their uh, like below their trades. This Kyle looks pretty damn good. Yeah, yeah, I kind of like it actually. They um, do you remember? Some, it was somewhere in the '90s. I couldn't pinpoint where. Do you remember the Total Justice figures? Yes, yes, I still have a couple of them. I have the uh, Kyle Rayner Green Lantern. I I remember even then I really didn't like like how it looked. Yes. They went out of their way to make them like look all like. Like, extreme and angry. But I thought it was cool, because, like, you know, of all characters, Green Lantern makes sense to have, like, all these snap-on accessories that can shoot stuff. Yeah, yeah, I thought about that, too. And it's like, when else are you going to get, like, a cool, like, regular Green Lantern figure, you know? Yeah. Yeah, back back then I got the the single Green Lantern figure. They had a... Like a two-pack where it came with Green Lantern and, I think, Polaris. Dr. Oh, Polaris. I loved Polaris back then. Yeah, I got that. And they had, like, a 12-inch type figure. Yeah. With, like, a cloth costume. Yeah, I got all that stuff. Was was there some kind of, like, limited edition, like, parallax figure in that line? Because I've, I've seen people reference it before, but I've never seen it. Yes, yeah, you're right. They They did have him. He was harder to get than all the rest of them. I don't think I ever got him. Was this like, like a chase figure kind of deal? 
I've been listening to lots of World of Toys, so I'm like learning toy hunting lingo. <laughs> I don't think that was a chase. I think it was just like a lower <laughs> production quantity. Daniel Kyle for a second. This Aquaman, like I won't get him, but this Aquaman looks awesome. <laughs> well, the the Superman Blue looks awesome too. Again, I'm not gonna get him either, but I don't know. There's just something about that that style that is really cool for action figures. Yeah, I mean, say what you will about his art and comics. I think his his style translates really well to uh, it's something like this. Yes. So, I mean, I, every now and then, like, I mean, real realistically, while it's a great idea to do uh, these DC direct figures that are based directly off of specific artist styles, it's kind of hit or miss. Oh yeah, definitely agree. But Ed McGinnis, like, his stuff is so like exaggerated and cartoony already. Like, why not? Well, like, the one time where it was kind of a turnoff was the Batman Beyond figure that they did based on his art style. Really? I, I saw that. I, based on the picture online, I kind of wanted it. Yeah, like, I would have liked the Batman Beyond figure, but because it's done in the Ed McGinnis style, it was, like, so beefed up muscular, and Batman Beyond was never really like that in the cartoon. He was always a lot more, like, sleek and... You know, aerodynamic, I guess. Did you, uh... God, I don't even know what this was in. But th- there was... It, it was actually probably an issue of Batman Superman or something. Where, like... I can't think if I have this or if I flipped through in the store. Probably flipped it. There was, like, a panel or a page where there's Bizarro and he's getting roped up by Batman Beyond. And it, for the purposes of this comic... Batman Beyond was like an adult Tim Drake. Yeah, I remember I remember that storyline and I'm pretty sure Ed McGinnis drew it. Yeah, cuz I'm trying to think like did he draw him like kind of bulky in that or was it just He definitely did. Like everything he drew in that was like very, you know, beefed up and exaggerated. Okay, so there you go. It's not it's not Perry McGinnis, it's Tim Drake. Yes, it's comic accurate. It's just not cartoon accurate. Yeah. Uh, now that I'm thinking about it, like, like every now and then, like, there'll be characters that I'm not even really into that I see an Ed McGinnis figure of, and I think, oh, you know, maybe if I see it for the right price. <laughs> like, like every single time I ever go into a comic store, they always have the Ed McGinnis Captain Adam figure, and I'm, and I always think about it. I'm like, eh, let's see if this is a light stack. <laughs> nice. I almost got his uh, Captain Marvel. Except when I went into the store to get it, they were actually sending all of theirs back because the character literally had two left hands. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's bad. Which probably means I could have, like, bought one and sold it on eBay and bought a house or something, but... No. No, it doesn't really work like that. Not with, uh, you know, small little production errors. But that makes it... It makes it super limited and exclusive, and only if they did enough of it, though. <laughs> only if they did enough. But oh, going off on like a complete tangent for a second, I want to see if you think this is <laughs> as stupid as I do. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry. All right, my my friend, he's big into video games. There's apparently some Final Fantasy game, like maybe the first one or the seventh one or whatever, it doesn't matter. Where on like the back, where they have like the little you know, the text talking about what the game is and all that shit. 
there's a typo where there's like an E or something that's raised like like a one millionth of a millimeter higher than the rest of the text. And that typo on the packaging makes that game like crazy hard to get and you have to pay like hundreds of dollars for it. Really? Really. Like absolutely nothing else about it except for that typo on the back of the packaging. I've I've never heard of that before. I've never even like looked into it, so I, I couldn't, you know. I I like I had to have him explain it to me like seventeen times before it really sunk in what he was saying. That's well, that's that's both a a complete tangent and completely ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I had that that's the equivalent of how like like you know how every month the title logo on the cover of Green Lantern is a different color. That'll be like every time it shows up red, that issue can becomes worth like ten thousand dollars. Well, I mean they have variant covers, so yeah, which is crazy by itself. But we'll we'll get into that another time. I have yeah. another news announcement. Oh really? Oh wait, yes. one more thing on this. Oh okay. Do uh the fact that these these figures come out in twenty ten? Would you? Now you're the toy guy. If I wanted this Kyle Rayner, should I pre-order it, like, next month when I make my, my uh, DCBS order, or should I wait until next year to see if they resolicit? Uh, no, no, like, when they solicit it, like, that's when you order it. It's so not they're... like, yeah, they're not, like, you know, doing it, like, way in advance to, you know, and then say, okay, sometime next year. It's It's more along the lines of, like, since if they're soliciting it for you know 2010, then like they've just got everything starting to go underway, and you'll see it in previews like within the next month or two, and then it'll come out like in January or so. All right. So this is it if you want it. Basically, or just okay. wait until you know you see it in the store and buy it there. I'm gonna see how much these are in the online. They don't have prices. Yeah, now, my guess would be $15 a piece in most stores. If you buy it through DCBS, you can probably get it for 11 or 12 bucks. Maybe I'll do that. This Power Rainer looks good. So, now the other news announcement is also action figure related, but you will not be able to order these online or buy them in a store. This year's San Diego Comic Con, DC Direct has decided to make not one, not two, not three, not four, and not six, but five exclusives that you can get at the Graffiti Designs booth only at the San Diego Comic-Con. That seems like an awful lot. Well, when I tell you what they are, you will probably agree that it's still a lot, but you'll know why they did it. Hmm. Wednesday night, Wednesday night is preview night. They're going to give out, they're going to have 3,000 pieces available. And that's going to be Hal Jordan in his, you know, regular costume. Very cool looking. It's a great figure. It's similar to the one that came out in the series, one of the Green Lantern figures, but it's some modifications. But then it gets a little bit better. On Thursday, you can get Hal Jordan in the Sinestro Corps uniform. And then Friday, you can get Hal Jordan in the Blue Lantern costume. And then Saturday, you can get Hal Jordan in the Orange Lantern costume. And Sunday, Hal Jordan in the Red Lantern costume. 
Are these all in scale with the other, uh, the rest of the Green Lantern line? Yes, yeah. These are all, you know, just like all the regular DC Direct Green Lantern figures, just modified into the different cores costumes. There are 1,500 pieces of each of the multicolor lanterns. Like I said, 3,000 for the green one. But each of the individual ones is 15, 15, uh, 1,500. 1,500 pieces, I hope. Yeah. Um, they each come with their power battery. And they each come with a wearable power ring for that particular core that he's with. There. It's probably going to be that plastic one-size-fits-all. Yeah, one-size-fits-none. I hate that crap. I hate that crap. Pissing me off. Now, what's interesting, if you take a look at the picture, we have a link to the article on the forums. If you look closely, you can see that each of these figures, where he's in these separate costumes, they all show how Jordan still has his Green Lantern ring on in the other hand. Really? Yes. Let's take a look at that. So I thought that was a nice touch. Do you think, because they all come with a power battery, do you think they're going to actually go the extra distance and, like, mold them to look like the different shaped batteries, or will they just, like, give them different paint jobs? Well, it's hard to tell because the image kind of blocks out, you know, some of the other lanterns that they're carrying. But you can see that red definitely has a red power battery. Green definitely has the green one. Blue already looks pretty similar to a Green Lantern, and you can see that one. Um, the yellow power battery, I'm not entirely sure. It may be just like a Green Lantern painted yellow, mm. or it may be the actual Sinestro core power battery. An orange you definitely can't see at all. Orange, I think, looks pretty... Pretty normal too. I'm looking at the picture now. I, I I saw this when it got posted, but I honestly I did not notice the green rings on all of them. Yeah, it's a nice touch. So are you going to uh, get a blue and a green and cut them in half and jam them together to make a composite lantern or two? <laughs> no, no, definitely not. In fact, actually, I think the Darth Knight is going to try and get them for me but he's only going to be there for two days. So what does that leave you in the running for? Like that leaves... Well, he's going to be there Saturday and Sunday, he says. So that's orange and red. Okay. So, I mean, blue is cool, but Hal hasn't really been all blue. He's always been that composite shifting kind of thing. Well, he hasn't been yellow at all. Exactly. I mean, he's had the yellow ring, but he's never had the costume. From from what we've seen and the solicits that are, you know, already been previewed, like, we know that Hal's going to be wearing a red lantern costume in the past and an orange lantern costume in the future. So, those are the cool ones. I really like the metallic paint jobs on these things. Yeah, that definitely pops it over the edge. So, do you really think that these are going to be, to stay, like, 100% exclusive to this con, or... I have a very, very strong suspicion that they are going to release a box set with the red, orange, blue, and yellow. I, I really think that. Like, it, it just, it feels like something they would do. 
Like, why would you go through all the trouble of making these exclusive, you know, costumes if you're never going to do anything else with them aside from just these 1,500 figures for each, you know, core? All they have to do is put them in the box and maybe don't include the ring or put them in the box and, you know, since they're not packaged separately and you can't get the green one, then it's different, so... I don't know. I, I definitely suspect they will put it in a box set, though. And I'm looking at it, and I'm like, they made, I think, red, orange, and yellow have the same head sculpt. Yeah, yeah, that's what it looks like. But at the very least, they they went for the effort of making at least one different head sculpt for this, so... Yeah, and they had to do some extra sculpting for the armbands for orange and yellow. Oh, yeah, true. Yeah, when I saw that, I, I basically wanted to cry because I figured that there would be no way I was ever going to get them. Yeah, well, you'll you'll have two. For I'll now. Have, I'll have the best ones for now. Maybe. I don't know. I kind of like the way blue looks. Blue and green, I think, looks the best on the page. Maybe just because I like the color, but... Yeah, blue blue is very nice. Blue is awesome. But, like I said, like I can justify it as far as which ones actually showed up in the comic. Yeah. I mean, honestly, if they if they made a composite blue-green, I would probably be all over that. That would be pretty cool. I think that's it for news. Shall we take a break? Ah, uh, yeah, cool, let's do that. Okay, we'll be right back. And now, a Lantern Cast exclusive for you, the listeners... The Living Will of Green Lantern, Chip. Hi everyone, this is Chip. This is my living will. So if you are hearing it, I must have passed on. I hope I went out in a blaze of glory, like trying to fight back an exploding sun, or in some amazingly epic battle. As long as it's not something stupid like getting hit by a yellow truck, I'll be happy. Now, on to the will. I really only have two things to pass on. My collection of nuts from around the universe, and my Green Lantern ring. I bequeath my ring to my apprentice, Squirrel. You've trained hard, Squirrel. You've earned this ring. And I'm leaving my collection of nuts to my girlfriend, Lakeisha. May you enjoy my nuts for a very long time. Now that that's taken care of, I have a few things to say. Being in the Green Lantern Corps rocked. Seriously, it was great. I have no regrets about it at all. Unless it was the reason that got me killed, then I have a problem with it. Really, folks, I don't want to die. I like living. A lot. Hanging out with Hal Jordan, training Squirrel, kicking back with Lakeisha. Life is great. So that's why I have one request of my loved ones. If there is any way you can bring me back to life, do it! I don't care what the circumstances are. I want to be alive again. Even if it means having to eat brains to stay alive, I'm cool with that. Maybe someday there will be an entire corps made up of dead guys, and we'd all have black rings. I'd want to be on that team. Ha! As if that could ever happen. I know, I'm just talking crazy talk here, but you get the idea. Bring me back to life. Okay, that's it. Thank you all for being there for me. I'll miss you. Especially you, Lakeisha. Goodbye. Okay, everybody, we're back, and what is our main topic for this evening, Dan? Well, let me process this by saying, ever since we started the show, we've been pretty much talking about nothing but Blackest Night, because, well, it's awesome. <laughs> but 
I think we kind of need, I think we need to take a step back, cleanse our palate a little bit. And today we're going to talk about a character that hasn't really come up that much in the last several months. as Alan Scott, the original Green Lantern. And we're going to be taking a look at uh, Brightest Day, Blackest Night. This one's called right now, I don't have the title in front of me. Hey, Brightest Day, Blackest Night. Yeah, Brightest Day, Blackest Night by Stephen T. Siegel and painted by John K. Snyder III. This this originally appeared as a uh, prestige format volume sometime within... 2002. Oh, it's up in 2002? Yes. Yeah, it's also been reprinted as the lead story in the, the trade paperback JSA Presents Green Lantern. It came out within the last couple of months. And do you want to do the summary or should I? Oh boy. Let's see. I didn't actually have anything written down, but I can come up with something off the top of my head. Okay. Uh, did you have something written down? No, I did not. Okay, then me it is. <laughs> okay, story starts out. You got an airplane flying over Gotham City. They're pointing out a, a swamp below, a slaughter swamp. And they're about to land in Gotham City. When all of a sudden, a gang of Nazis take over the plane. They take over the plane, they kill the pilots, they kill a few other people. And they land the plane in the swamp. Uh, as soon as they put the plane down in the swamp, they start assembling a device. Then we queue over to Alan Scott, who is taking a train ride with his... I don't know, is that his love interest, or... Yeah, I think it's his girlfriend. It's kind of his girlfriend, but I don't think they're actually boyfriend and girlfriend right now. Well, in any case... He he runs into her in, on the train. They're going to Gotham City because she wants to be a news announcer on the radio. They finally get to Gotham City, and she is trying out for this role of a broadcaster. The only thing is nobody hires women to do that at this particular time, which the book is set in World War II, like right around World War II. This is set firmly in the 40s. Yeah, that explains the Nazis and the radio and all that jazz. So, she finally gets an audition. She reads that there's actually a plane that just went down. All of a sudden now, Alan Scott, who is Green Lantern, is waiting to be able to go and help him out. So, basically, the girl, what's her name? Irene? Yeah, Irene Miller. Yeah, okay. So you got Irene Miller. She takes a cab ride out to the swamp because she wants to get the scoop for the radio. And meanwhile, Alan Scott is also headed out there so that he can hopefully save the people that went down on the plane. So Alan Scott goes out there and... Surprisingly enough, also in this swamp is Solomon Grundy, the DC's resident zombie-type resurrected creature monster thing. <laughs> so the Nazis, they're building this device that, it's like, what is it, the, the Zeta Beam? Yep. The, 
Zeta Wave, they call it. Yes, the Zeta Wave. This amazing weapon that basically turns things invisible. So they're putting this thing together so that they can sneak Nazis into America, and then once they're all ready and they have a big army, they can just go after the Americans on American soil. While they're putting this thing together, Solomon Grundy pops out of the swamp, starts killing people, the uh, the army gets there, and they're trying to rescue some of the survivors, and Solomon Grundy kills them. Then finally Alan Scott pops into the picture. He's fighting Solomon Grundy, and somewhere along the way, Alan Scott realizes that the other dudes in the swamp are actually Nazis that are building an array of invisibility to defeat America. So he's fighting them and Solomon Grundy. And uh, basically he has a train take out Solomon Grundy. And the cab driver comes up with a gun to take out the Nazis. And... I don't know, the day is saved, blah, blah, blah. That's basically it. So, I get the impression you didn't like this. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> Did my lack of enthusiasm show through that much? Well, you you ended it with the day is saved, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> uh, so, what, what, uh, what about this didn't rub you the right way? Okay. Well... First off, I have to say, like, I'm going to give credit where credit is due. The art is beautiful. Yes. The art is absolutely, like, it's stunningly beautiful. However, the one thing that I have against the art is that since it's this painted art, a lot of times you don't get to see details so clearly, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that that actually plays into the story, but I'll get into that later. The thing that I didn't really, like, care for so much about this story is that there was no point to it. There was no point whatsoever to tell this story. It was just a, like a little one-off adventure. I, yeah, I mean, there were tons of, you know, Alan Scott adventures back in the day. It, to me, it seemed like some guy wanted to paint an Alan Scott story, so they just came up with this random, meaningless Alan Scott story. Yeah, I mean, as as beautiful as it is, like, they, they charge $6 for this, and it means, like, absolutely nothing to anything in the DC universe, anything concerning Green Lantern. It's just, like, a pointless little... Yeah, it's, you know, I mean, it's it's somewhat fun in that, you know, it's just a carefree story, but... Like, it doesn't give you any insight into the character. It doesn't really develop the characters at all. It's just kind of there. I think it talks a lot about, like, how Alan feels about being Green Lantern and that, like, I mean, even mentions in here, like, just playing off the fact that he's wearing a ring, like, he feels kind of married to the identity. Yeah. Okay, I mean, I can give you some of that. Ugh. Man. I think it was more. It might have been more for the for the sake of uh, of in 2002 
trying to write a story in 1940-something. Yeah, which, but I mean, like, yeah, like, I, I definitely got that impression. But I mean, like, what's the point of that? What would be the point of doing that aside from, like, some kind of literary exercise? Because you have so much material from back in the day. I mean, like, you know, why not just take a story that existed from back then that actually had some significance to Alan Scott back then and have somebody repaint it today? I definitely see where you're coming from, but I don't know. Like, this, I I genuinely like the fact that this story was an island unto itself. Like, you could, you just start reading, it's just some, like, weird goings-on, and then it's over. And it was, it was set firmly in its time period, and it just, it definitely, it felt like it was not today, you know? Yeah. Like, like it was just, it was like a nice little, like, window, you know? <laughs> the other thing that I guess I'm looking at is, like, this is, I guess, the first battle between Alan Scott and Solomon Grundy, right? For the purposes of this story, I think it was, yeah. Right. So it's like a single story unto itself that has no weight into anything else. It has no bearing. But if you're going to tell, like, the story, like the first meeting between Alan Scott and Solomon Grundy, then, like, why not, like, play it up a, a little bit, like, you know, and, you know, here's the origin of blah, blah, blah happening. Like, if you look in the back cover of the Prestige format book, it's mm-hmm. like, light and dark, life and death, good and evil. Those, you know, that was all there. Powers in opposition. That was definitely a theme that was successfully portrayed through the book. I will give it that. And then it says, and a secret it took 60 years to tell. I read the whole thing, and there were there were no secrets at well, all. There was... There was a cover-up at the end. That the Nazis were trying yeah, to take over with a ray of invisibility? In story, they played it up as a whole, like, well, we're just going to tell people that there was, like, bank robbers and there were no Nazis or secret ray guns or whatever. But the whole, like, the secret it took however many years to tell, I think it was just straight up, like, a flashy way of saying, hey, this this is an, a quote-unquote untold story from the 40s, Green Lantern. I don't think it's supposed. I don't think it's actually supposed to have any like like important weight or continuity to it. Yeah, but I mean, like, if you're gonna, if you are going to say something like that, which is a fairly loaded thing to say to get people to read your book, and a secret it took sixty years to tell, you would think that this is something like they're gonna reveal something that nobody's known about Alan Scott in you know in sixty years. Or, you know, reveal something about Solomon Grundy that hasn't been revealed in 60 years. And in that, you know, that scenario, it's like, well, I read this book. I think I know less about Solomon Grundy now. I didn't know Alan Scott dated someone named Irene. There you go right there. (laughs) (laughs) I'm flipping through it now, and I think, I don't know, I think it might have been like, like, what did the back blurb say? Not the last line, but like, Light and dark, life and death, good and evil, powers in opposition. Yeah, because it definitely played, like, when you look at all the characters in play here, it's like a big question mark on, like, who's really the bad guy. 
Because, like, the knee-jerk reaction is to say that, oh, it's it's Solomon Grundy because he's the big monster killing everybody. But then it's like, alright, who's more of the monster? Is it him or is it the Nazis? Or is it the American scientist who built this weapon that could, like, be used against his own country? Well, I is mean, it, like, yeah, but but I'll stop you right there because, like, as I'm reading it, like... The things that Solomon Grundy says, it's like he just wants everybody out of his swamp. So, I mean, it kind of like, like right off the bat, they're basically saying, okay, well, he's not the bad guy. All he wants is people to leave him alone. Yeah, but then he starts murdering people. (laughs) Well, he's a monster. And all he wants is them to leave, and they're not leaving at all. Like, they're just, they're sticking around. They're like, oh, no, we have to build this ray gun. When they showed up, they saw, like, the remains of the people he mauled. What do you think? What do you think they're gonna do? Run! Get the hell out! Oh, they're Nazis. They don't run. Yeah. They shoot uh, wildly into the night. Yeah. You know, uh, then you have the Nazis, which are you know like oh, the Nazis. Okay, obviously they're the bad guys. You know, mm-hmm. if you said if you said anything in World War Two and you establish that there's going to be Nazis, then you know the Nazis are going to be the bad guys. Yeah, what, what do you think of, like, what are they called? The the Geist Reich? Yeah. Like, Poltergeist, like, Hit, what is this guy in here? In the panel where they take the plane. Hitler's ghost hands who live and walk amongst you, unseen and unknown until called into action. <laughs> so these guys are just kind of hanging around until it's like, oh, hey, get the plane. Yeah. Um... And then the the guy that invented the machine, like, they even established the fact that he built it so that America could use it against the Nazis. So, I mean, like, how can he possibly be the bad guy? Like, he built a weapon for the U.S. to use against the Nazis, and the Nazis stole it, and he's doing everything in his power, like, not to help them. And apparently his niece had to go with him on this plane trip. So, you know, they've, they've you know, kind of got him. But, I mean, like, you know, he's obviously not the bad guy. So, like, I see what you're saying. Like, they were trying for that. Like, oh, who's the bad guy? But you know, like, right off the bat. So there's not really any mystery there. You know who the real innocent vic- in all this is? Do I be Dickles? I was thinking more along the lines with that crocodile they tied to the tree. Yeah. I felt bad for the crocodile. <laughs> they never, I don't know if they ever even untied him. <laughs> he probably bit the rope. He just wanted to eat one scientist. Is that so hard to, to do? I liked in the back here, like when the Justice Society finally shows up, and it's all silhouettes. Get, well, it's not really silhouettes. But it's foggy, but like they, uh, Alan's in his head running down the roll call. He's like, oh, the Spectre and Doctor Fate and the Adam, and he gets to the Flash. He's like, hey, Flash, when the hell wasn't he here faster? Yeah. Bastard. Yeah, that 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 was a very valid point. How come the Flash isn't the first one on the scene every time? Yeah. So mm. yeah, like so one thing that did kind of piss me off is that. Oh, now we're gonna get to the part you don't like. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is the part that like that really pissed me off. Oh boy. Okay, page two. He puts page, on. Oh, a... <laughs> this started early for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh no no no! Like like. I, like I said, this this part, like page two, I thought was good. Like at this point, they still had me. 
One, two. Well, page two is the plane. Right. The 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 bottom panel. The bad guy is putting his his mask on. You see that? Yes. What do you see front and center on that mask? What the swastika? Yes. Or the eagle? The swastika. Was it backwards or something? No, no, I I have no idea. Okay. Um. But you see a swastika right on his mask. So you, you establish that they're Nazis, like, immediately. Yes. Now, you, you continue in a little bit, and as soon as... Oh, I think I know where you're going. <laughs> yeah, as soon as Alan Scott is on the scene, you know, he sees these guys in masks, and he sees Solomon Grundy. <laughs> and he looks directly at them, He's basically got, like, a super-powered flashlight in his hand, illuminating everything. And <laughs> he doesn't see the SWAT stickers on their masks. And he, it, like, automatically assumes that he should be going after the one that's been fighting off the Nazis. Yeah, that's awesome. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Like, right there, like, that just, you know, the whole battle with Solomon Grundy shouldn't have even happened. Because, like, right there on their heads is the biggest clue. Well, he's still would have gone after Grundy just because of, like, the crap with the American soldiers. Yeah, but everybody would have been saved first. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. Not enough children were endangered yet. I guess. Did it surprise you how Alan seemed to be, like, A-okay with killing in the story? <laughs> what do you mean? Like, he... Like, when he starts to fight Grundy, he's like, oh, God, where where was I? I should read the page number. Oh, oh, yes. He's, he's like, Grundy's like, me dead tomorrow, because he keeps talking about the week. Right. And Alan's like, why wait? And then shoots him. And then, yeah. then like, this is, this is the one bit of dialogue in here that I hated, where, like, it's that double-page spread where yeah. they're flying at each other. Grundy's yelling, Sunday, 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 like, monster truck. <laughs> Yeah. And Alan just said, hey, uh, what's he say? He says, that's right, big fella, the day of rest. Why don't you, in peace? Yeah. As he he throws, like, a freaking sickle at him. (laughs) But but what's even better than that is that, like, he then goes on to say that all life is sacred and that you shouldn't kill anybody, even the Nazis. (laughs) I mean, like, how ridiculous (laughs) is this? It's about as ridiculous as him picking up a tree branch and having a tree branch sword fight with Grundy three pages later. <laughs> and they don't even explain, like, why the ring doesn't work on Grundy. Well, there, there's a part in here where there, where he says something like, is he made of wood or something? Right, yeah, he asked the question, but we never actually find out. Oh, true. They don't explain the connection to the swamp. <laughs> Let's see what else I can pick apart from this. Okay. Oh, did you did you catch the fact that like the Zeta wave? That that's the thing that transports Adam Strange back and forth from Earth to Ran. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, oh no, I thought that was the Zeta beam. How is that different? It really shouldn't be. Because <laughs> I was <laughs> some the first time I read this when like whenever I got it, I don't know the first time I read this. Something I thought that they were going to play up, which would have been kind of cool, is like, okay, this is this thing is supposed to be some sort of experimental invisibility gun or whatever. Well, maybe something happens and it's 
or maybe like instead of turning stuff invisible, it really teleports them. They just don't know yet or something. But there's all sorts of logical holes through that. But you know, that's where I thought they were. They might take it, but yeah, no, um, yeah, that that was definitely the Zeta beam. Yeah. Which um, I guess I guess is like completely different than <laughs> the Zeta wave. Yeah, and, and you know, not built on an alien planet. Yes. Yeah, that's that's true. Some of the characters in this, I mean, all right, all, we obviously have like Doiby Dickles, who's you know Alan Scott's. I don't think he really isn't this, but he eventually becomes Alan Scott's, you know, pudgy comic relief sidekick that drives them around. Yes. He's he plays like a pretty good role in here. Like I like how he's uh they play up the fact that he's like the most human character in this story, except for maybe the little girl, and he's the one that that like saves everybody. <laughs> That's true. I like how they put in like they explained his accent that his name like it is Derby. He just like has like a really cliche like New Yorker kind of like or is that the New York accent they're playing off of or what what accent is that? Um, well, it's a Gotham accent. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was surprised. I thought Alan Scott always lived in Gotham, but this was, like, pre that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not I'm not that up on that. Uh, another thing that I thought was kind of ridiculous is that this Zeta wave, they shoot it at things, and that stuff becomes invisible. Right? Yes. Now... Their whole plan was to shoot it at the Nazis so that America wouldn't see the Nazis build up their, you know, big army, right? Yes. So why would it be a bad thing if they shot Alan Scott with it? If the Nazis shot Alan Scott with it? Yeah. I assume it's the same reason why they didn't shoot Grundy with it, because then they would have to worry about a threat they couldn't see. Well, no. Like, they were shooting it at him, though. Oh, why would Alan Scott... Well, did he know that's what it did? Uh, yeah, yeah, they, they... He found out somewhere along the way is that, you know, they made the plane... Like, Solomon Grundy was telling him that they made the plane invisible or something like huh. that. You know, so, I will give you I will give you this point, because, like, somewhere along the way, everyone in this story seemed to, to start acting like an invisibility gun could do actual physical damage to you. yeah. They're like, oh no, a monster, shoot it with the laser. It's not a laser, it's an invisible. Shut up and shoot it with the laser. <laughs> I know, it's like, you know, well, there's two settings. The first setting turns you invisible. The second one kills you. <laughs> <laughs> the second one turns it into a microwave emitter. <laughs> oh, feel like my powers being... Ripped in all directions. Apparently, that's what an invisible villain. <laughs> the second setting should like teleport you to another planet where you can like get married and have a kid. <laughs> um, and then when your wife starts talking about child support, it zaps you back to Earth. Yeah, it's like, ooh, honey, watch, I gotta go. <laughs> um, did you catch? Uh, I. I didn't mark the page. But when Alan shows up and he starts talking to the soldiers... Oh, yeah, oh, Nodell. Yeah, here it is. Yeah, General Nodell. Or is it General? Yeah. Yeah, General Nodell. Named after Martin Nodell, the artist who created Alan Scott. Yeah. Was he... Hang on. 
you 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 talk about something. I want to check this fact before I throw it out there. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I was actually checking to see if there was some sort of reference to Bill Finger, but I didn't notice anything. There was one thing that, like, I was kind of curious about. Mm-hmm. On the third page, some guy on the airplane gets up. He's like, "Guess again, Nazi." Adam yeah. Maxwell, G-Man. I trust you no better than to fire a gun in a plane. Yeah, I was. I looked for that guy. I I don't know if that was supposed to be somebody from the Golden Age. I I mean, there's a G-Man comic right now, but that's blatantly not the same thing. <laughs> it's, really, it's really cool, though. Yeah. Oh, here it is. Not not what you were talking about. All right, Martin O'Dell. Right. He created Green Lantern. Right. You know what else he created? That's the Pillsbury Doughboy. Yes. Of course I know that. I don't know. You seem to hate the 40s, so... No. No, I mean, I just hate this. I have a lot of respect for what actually came before. <laughs> I think... Who did the art in this again? Somebody of the third? John K. Snyder the third. I love the silhouettes he does. Like, on page... 21, you have that shot of Alan picking up his battery. Whereabouts is that? It's right when he gets the call from Dr. Midnight. Irene leaves in the cab. Oh, okay, okay, I see ya. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. And later in the, and later on in the story with the, uh, right underneath the poor alligator, that shot of, uh, the Dr. Manhopper, or whatever his name is. Yeah. The shot of him standing behind the Zeta wave, looking yeah. down. Like, that side shot, that's amazing. I oh, I that. mean, yeah, like like I said, the art in this, I, I love. Like, the one scene where Alan Scott is coming down to meet the, the guys in the army, right? Where the guy says, you know, that he's General Zachariah Nodell. Yeah. Like, just Alan Scott descending like that with, like, the cascading, twirling energy. I think that's awesome. Mm-hmm. And even though, like, you know, it just seemed really weird for him to say, like, that double-page spread where Alan's going right at Solomon Grundy, like, that's that's mm-hmm. a really cool visual. I love that full-page shot of Grundy when he first shows... Uh, when he, yeah, it's when he first shows up. Where he's coming and out of the swamp? Well, the one where it's, like, it's just him. It's the page after he kills the soldiers, and it's just like you get his head, and his whole body is in, like, dirty silhouette. Like, I love that shot. That's a nice, creepy shot. I think it's oh, actually back okay. cover something. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, like, the the art, this, it's really, like, the, the only reason to get this. I, I mean, like, if, if you could get a version of this without any words, <laughs> <laughs> you'd really be better off. It made the ring... Like, with what he does with the ring, it may seem like more like a more potent point-and-shoot weapon, you know? Like, well, as, yeah, originally that's what it was. Yeah, originally, like it, it didn't do much. Yeah, like flight and, like, two or three other weird things. Yeah. Like, when he blows up the Zeta Wave thing, like, that's just, like, intense. It's like, wow, he must have been saving that up. <laughs> and whenever, whenever like a construct shows up, like the image of him that's standing on the train tracks or his shield or whatever, right? It looks like it's like this almost glass 
structure that just happens to be glowing green. Like it looks like, nice. It's like it's not solid. If you know what I mean, like it's like it's like it's three dimensional, but you can see through it like it's hollow. Like a hologram. Yeah, that that all that one. Yeah. Oh <laughs> uh, yes. And let's see, one of the notes. Oh, <laughs> I. I I thought the radio station that Irene wants to get a job for right sounds like a really surprise scream. Yeah, yeah, I thought about that too. WGAH. I didn't read it as letters first. The first time I showed up in a war balloon, I was, I was like, "Waga!" Yeah, I noticed that too. Actually, I was like trying to see if there was any like kind of significance to it. I'm like, "Well, that just sounds weird." Like. Like, ah, something. I like I like how they played her character though. Like she's smart. She knows. Like she she fully realizes where the glass ceiling is. But like he even Alan even says it in here, she plays both sides of it to get the job. You know, like as far as her character goes, like she was interesting, but it seemed very much like a Lois Lane clone. This is this is exactly what Lois Lane would do. Like she would go out and she would get the story no matter what. She'd like go into the swamp and she'd pretend to be a woman or a man or whatever, blah blah blah, whatever it took. Her I did actually find because I mean, I found very limited mention of her online. She's she actually is a character who was Alan's love interest back in the forties. Right. But she only showed up in like eight issues. <laughs> they pulled some really random characters for this one. And let's see. The only other note I have on this is you know, only Gotham City would be bordered by a place called Slaughter Swamp. <laughs> yeah, why would you ever name a swamp Slaughter Swamp? It's like, well, we do have that zombie in it. Should we take care of that? Nah. <laughs> let's just let's just name it something scary. People will stop going there. Something through again. I love how claustrophobic Doctor Midnight's little uh, radio room is. <laughs> like the technology really screamed of the of like the forties and what the forties thought futuristic stuff would be like. Oh well. Well, I mean, uh, continue. I know. I was just saying because it's all like really cramped and really like you can see all the pieces of everything. The thing that I, you know, actually really, really did like in that it really kind of helped paint the picture of when this was taking place and also like what was going on at the time. The Nazis didn't do that for you. <laughs> well, I mean, like I know that that was going on at that time, you know, in history. But the thing that this reminded me of, when she's doing her newscast, she makes a point of saying that our man saved Metropolis parade-goers from a rampage of circus animals. Do you remember that happening? Well, no, but, like, our man saved Metropolis. Our man, because our man was around back then, Superman didn't actually show up until much later in this continuity. Oh, yeah, like, in... Yeah, Superman wasn't around until, like, just before, like, Hal Jordan. Right. So, yeah, like, I mean, I thought that was that was a nice little reference. So. So we got nothing else? Yeah, so you would obviously say pick this up. <laughs> I would say if you could find this in a 50-cent bin, then it is absolutely worth it for the art. 
Like, you know, if you could find this for, like, you know, a dollar or 50 cents or, you know, if you're lucky enough, a quarter. Like, the art in this is, it's gorgeous. It's absolutely gorgeous. Totally worth for the art alone. The story itself is completely pointless. Like, if this was any other artist doing this this uh, book, I, I I can't imagine why anybody would, would plunk down the money for it. You just can't have fun. <laughs> I can have I mean, fun. No, like, if you tell me that a book, like, you know, isn't going to have any bearing in continuity, and that it's just going to be a fun tale of Green Lantern doing something fun, then that's cool. Like, you know, I'm down with that. Like, the the Sunday comic, not, yeah, was it Wednesday comics? Yeah. When Wednesday comics comes out, like, I'm going to go get that, and I know full well that it's a Green Lantern story that's not going to have any actual bearing on Green Lantern. But that's just a fun Green Lantern story, like, told by people that want to tell a fun Green Lantern story with awesome art. Like, that right there? Like, that, 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 that's something that, that's something that I can go in for. But something like this, where they're gonna charge six dollars to put it in a prestige format, like, this did not need to be more than, like, three or four dollars. Like, four dollars max, because you want, like, the extra art. But I mean, like, to charge six dollars for it, and then to put right on the back, and a secret it took sixty years to tell, which is basically making people believe that this is going to have, like, some kind of significance or something. Like, you know, you're setting people's expectations up, and, you know, that's when, like, if you're setting people's expectations higher than you can meet, then you're going to fail. Did you really think, though, that it was going to be some grand revelation about Alan Scott's past? I thought that it was going to mean something for Alan Scott, and realistically... It didn't. Really? Because, I mean, I remember when I bought that the volume in the store. I saw the cover, and or I might have flipped over, I don't remember. I flipped through, and I thought, hey, Golden Age Green Lantern story set in the 40s. Okay. And that was 100% of the expectations I went into it with. <laughs> so, I mean, real, realistically, like, if, like, that's the only reason... Like, if you're out there and you're thinking about reading this, that's the only reason why you should read it. If you just want a just-for-the-hell-of-it story about Alan Scott in 1940-something. Yeah, but realistically, like, the things that we were discussing through it, like, the amount of plot holes and, and just problems, realistically, with the story. Like, I mean, you know, can you honestly say that it's really, like, you know, even just a great story? Well, it's not a great story. It's it's the kind of story where you can just, like, read it, maybe turn your brain off a little bit, or at least down. <laughs> you can just have fun. I, I'm going to stick with my, you know, what, what I was saying, though. It's like, you know, it's good for the art, and if you can find a copy that doesn't have the words in it, then you're much better off. Wow. So are you going to uh, now actively avoid things written by Stephen T. Siegel? Not necessarily, because I don't actually know, like, what the circumstances, you know, were for creating this book. Like, it could be that he just wanted to tell, like, some sort of, like, you know, weird, you know, Green Lantern story that didn't really mean anything or whatever. Or maybe they just said, okay, we have John K. Snyder III here that wants to paint this beautiful Green Lantern versus Solomon Grundy battle. 
and you need to write a story around it. And Maybe. if he was actually doing something like in continuity or something, you know, completely different, it might hold like, you know, a completely different significance or meaning or whatever. Maybe they said, hey, we just got the art pages back from John T. Snyder III. You want to write some dialogue? I, you know, I wouldn't doubt it. Seriously, I, mean, that's, that's I wouldn't how, doubt like, it. That's how, like, Stan Lee did it for, like, 80 years. Why not? Yeah, they, you know, the Marvel method. You come up with the art, and then you come up with the story later. Like, I, I don't doubt that. Like, actually, that, that may make things, you know, make more sense. See, story gets better all the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, wow. This, this, this turned out a lot worse than I thought it would. <laughs> really? Um. I don't know. This may, this may be better, actually. Yeah. You got, you got to work out some personal demons, and, uh. <laughs> you know what? As long as we're on the topic of Alan fighting Grundy. Yes. I did pick up Solomon Grundy number four. Oh, really? Yes, and. Okay, wait, wait. Now we're going to have spoilers? Are we going to talk spoilers on this? I think we have to, because I kind of disagree with where you came from last week. Or okay. last time, whenever the hell the last episode was. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm like, why don't we talk about that after a short break? And then close okay. the episode. Alright. You like that? Yeah, yeah. Let's do that. Okay. We'll be right back, everybody. It's four in the morning, you sneak out of bed And tiptoe down the stairs Go to the kitchen, leave off the light The Pillsbury cookie dough's waiting there Yeah, you open the door, take the tube in your hand Get the scissors down from the shelf Peel back the label, give it a squeeze You're gonna eat the whole thing all by Okay, everybody, and we're back, and now, okay, Dan, your spoilers for Solomon Grundy number four. Yeah, now, now, refresh my memory, last time you had said that, you know, if they, if they stick to what happens in this issue, it'll be, like, super major ramifications for Alan Scott, the likes of which we haven't seen in decades or something, correct? Right. Okay. Uh, they're, they're not going to stick to this. Uh, I wouldn't be so sure. Well, let's let's preface by saying, okay, now this is this is the first issue of Solomon Grundy I've read of this. Same movie. here. Yeah. So I don't know what the setup is or whatever, but you know Solomon Grundy shows up at the house where Alan lives with his wife, um, Molly. Ami <laughs> Molly. Amimali is the divorcee of Abin Sir. Yeah, no. <laughs> it was his former arch nemesis, the uh, the Harlequin. Anyway, he he busts into Al Alan's closet apparently, grabs Alan's battery and crushes it. 
And then a few minutes later, Alan's power fades, and he makes some comments like, what does he say? The power's gone or something like that. I feel a little dizzy, almost hollow, empty. And then his ring goes dark, and he's like, the power, it's gone. And he looks like he's going to piss his pants. And so I assume that what you're thinking is Alan may or may not be powerless, like, long-term now. Well, the way that that I interpreted it was, and, like, we'll just add really quick that when when Grundy, like, crushed the, the lantern, you know, like, it wasn't, like, an easy task. Like, it was something that he was working at, and finally he was able to crush it, and, like, the thing, like, exploded energy everywhere. Yeah. I was a little weirded out by the fact that the lantern can apparently talk to you. But, yeah. yeah. Well, no, that one that one definitely could talk for, like, a while. I know it, it talked to him in, like, his origin, I think, but yeah. I know it did it after that. Um, but it was seriously saying, like, Alan, come home. There's, like, a freaking zombie hurting me. <laughs> which, another thing that I was, like, kind of questioning, which, I mean, I guess at some point maybe they changed this, but I guess I was always under the impression that he had basically internalized the powers? Yeah, this is my big problem. Okay. Now, you you said you haven't read any of the old JSA run where it was Jeff Johns, but it was just JSA, as opposed to Justice Society of America. Oh, I've been reading this whole series of Justice Society, or JSA. The last series when it was Justice Society... Yeah, I think I started, like, around halfway through or so. The I'm, t- I'm talking about the run where, like, it started up in, like, the 90s, and it went up through the 2000s, and then ended, and then this current series started. Yeah, yeah, I didn't read the first half of that. Okay. Within that, it's, it's revealed in that series over the course of time that, like, Alan Scott is basically made of his power. So, like, the Starheart itself is inside of him. Like, there's a story where a Mordru, this wizard dude from the Legion, reaches into his chest, pulls out his heart. It looks like a regular human heart, except it's green and glowing. And that's the, that's the Starheart. And with it outside of him, you know, his power's fading, his body is starting to dissolve, he's getting older, he's dying. Like, eventually, like, Jay Garrick, the Flash, gets the Starheart back to him, and for whatever weird reason, it turns into a ring and gets on his finger again, and that it rejuvenates him, he's all better. Now, I don't know if this is, like, supposed to be a New Earth thing, where, like, Infinite Crisis or Final Crisis changed something, but Alan should not need a external power source to draw off of. Right. That's well that's what I was under the impression of. Yeah. Not only that, he sh- like his lantern like it should it might still exist, but it should be just an empty trinket. And even if it is set up like this, if it goes dead, he should be like fading away and dying right now. Yeah, the only thing that I'm wondering is if maybe there was a storyline somewhere along the lines where he took all the power that was inside of him and, like, maybe his body couldn't handle it, so he created a new lantern and kept keeps the energy in there and now has to recharge. But I never remember read it, reading that. 
Yeah, no, they wouldn't have done that off path. If they did that, they would have put it in, like, JSA, which I haven't been reading the current series yet. I want to get the trades once the soft covers start to come out, but I don't think they've done that there. They haven't. Yeah, no, they definitely haven't. And yet, now that I'm thinking about it, did you read the uh, Green Lantern Sentinel Heart of Darkness? I... It was yeah, yeah I, I have it. I've read it, but it was so long ago, I can, like, barely remember what happened. I remember a lot. See, what, happened, <laughs> what happened in there? Because I used to love this the hell out of this thing. Alright, Alan's battery, his original battery, was formed out of just a little piece of the star heart, and the rest of the star heart, like, eventually came to life and started, like, evolving and mutating and shit. And because Alan's energy was part of it, he started to change too. That's why, like, sometime in the 90s, I think, he, he, like, went to bed as an old man, but woke up, like, as, like, a 20-something-year-old, because <laughs> the star heart had changed, so by extension, he changed, because he was, like, locked into his power. Right. And in Heart of Darkness, the star heart mutated again, and it did, it wanted to take back all of its energies. Like, it's, it, uh... Actually, now that I think about it, it took his battery and reabsorbed it into itself, so his battery shouldn't even like, be around anymore. Right. But, you know, it changed. It tried to take all of the power back from him so that he would age and die. Jade actually burned herself out defeating the Starheart, and Alan changed again. He got his power back, but it was it was kind of ill-defined what happened to him. And then JSA happened, and we found out that, like, okay, he's made of his power now. So... So what happened to the rest of the Starheart? I don't know. I don't know if he showed up again, or if it's all, or is it supposed to be all Alan now? Because, I mean, I remember that issue, that final issue ending with, like, this gigantic explosion as Jade is, like, just firing on him. So, I mean, for all, for all we know, like, in that moment, the whole of the Starheart could have, like, been condensed and put into Alan. I don't know. Well... I mean, regardless of all that, you have now this new story in Solomon Grundy number four, where apparently, you know, Alan Scott has a power battery that he recharges from. The power battery is destroyed, and all of a sudden, Alan Scott's ring goes dead, but he's still very much alive, just with no power. Yeah, but, you know, I don't see it. If it doesn't get taken back in this miniseries, then it's going to have to... They're going to have to go back on it eventually. Well, you see, that's why... The reason I thought that this was going to have some significance is because, if you remember, in Origins and Omens for, I want to say, the Green Lantern? Yeah, where you saw it. Yeah. yeah, you see Alan Scott next to Torquemada and... I think that's Mordrew. Mordrew. Yeah, all three magic-based. So, I don't know if it has some sort of connection to that, because the Starheart was like the random magic that the Green, that the Guardians of the Universe had banished into a single stone. And what if this... What if Grundy just let it all out again? Exactly, yeah, that was my my thinking. That's a cool thought. Something I think that would be kind of cool, I would love to see 
how Alan Scott plays as, like, an actual member of the Green Lantern Corps with, like, one of their rings. And if he actually has to, like, answer to the Guardians and follow their rules. Well, I mean, we've had stories similar to that before. Yeah, but it's always been kind of like he's just a loosely affiliated agent or something. Yeah. But this would be like, he would be full-fledged, like, he's all in. So I think it would be cool, like, if they kind of blame him. Because he's been kind of the caretaker of the Starheart all this time. Right. And then, like, under his watch, it gets released. So what if they force him into the core so, like, he can go out and do something about it? Yeah, like, charge him with the task of recollecting all the magic. Yeah, and maybe that's why they they bring uh, Torquemada and Mordru in. Possibly. That would be cool. I don't know, I'm, I'm just wondering because, I mean, we already know JSA Blackest Night is coming, and I cannot see them doing a JSA three-issue tie-in to Blackest Night where they don't have their own Green Lantern front and center with the ability to use his ring, you know? Uh, well, maybe maybe this event, maybe this thing happening in, in Solomon Grundy will set up like a new scenario for how Alan's going to be used, especially in Black Design. Speaking of which, in the solicits for September, did you see it? Did you catch it? Which one are we talking about here? Grundy number seven? No. You didn't see that cover. Oh, God. Now I have to check. Where, where do I go? Where do I go? Go to Newsarama. I think it has the icon of, like, Batman being hung or something. Oh, boy. You'd, I, I can't believe you passed this one over. No, I just I don't check the solicits. Oh, really? Oh, okay. I mean, eventually I'll, I'll see him. But... Let's see. Okay, okay. Oh, wow, that's an awesome Wonder Woman picture. I mean, this, when I saw this cover, I was like, just go and scroll and scroll, and I was like, what? Seriously? Okay, okay, come on. I it's... think I know what I'm going to say. I think I know what I'm going to say. Oh, come on. It's down by the S's. I'm looking. Did I pass it? Scroll on down to where it says S. Uh, it's like okay, 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 okay. Here we go. Oh yeah, I know it. Yeah. So, should we say it? No, no, we, we shouldn't su- say it. Suffice to say, it's something that I really didn't think we were going to see. Yeah, this is something that I thought could possibly be an option, but it, it makes me wonder how literal the cover will be. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Every, everyone listening will immediately go and check. Yeah. If they haven't already. Yeah. Oh, did you see the, the cover to, was it Blackest Night number two or three that was solicited? Two, with a Firestorm? Yes. Yeah, I would like to point out, I think I pointed this out in the forum too. Yeah. Two things that are notable. First, Zombie Firestorm is the most amazing thing ever created. <laughs> uh, second... You got the, at the bottom there, on the ground, you have the uh, the current Firestorm, Jason Rush. Is that his last name, Rush? I believe so. And he's on the ground, and in the, his fiery hair fire, 
I didn't notice this until I looked at it like the second or third time. You have not all, but almost every one of the emotional spectrum emblems in his headfire. The only one I couldn't find was orange. No, I see orange. Where? It's the second one down. No. Alright, here's what I see. All right, if you're if you're uh if you have that cover up and you're playing along at home, at the very top, coming off of his like little head piece, at the the, the flame at the very top, that's red. Okay. Alright. If you go down just to the right of his eye, that is yellow. Yes. Directly next to, to yellow, that is green. Yes. Directly next to green is blue. Right. Directly under blue is violet, the star sapphire. You see it? Yeah, well, I think you're, you're going in the wrong order. But you're, you're, you have the right idea. And then to the left of violet is indigo. That's like right on his arm. Okay, now, 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 now follow me with this. Alright. You see, you see purple, right? Uh, the, the, the violet, rather. Which one's purple? Violet. <laughs> that could be indigo or violet. Yeah, there's violet, the right. star right there. Violet is at the end of the spectrum. What's right yeah. next to the violet color? It's right next to the violet color? On indigo? the spectrum, indigo. Oh, on, on the spectrum, indigo, okay. Yeah, so you go right over to indigo. What's right yeah. next to indigo? Blue. Right, so indigo is right next to blue in the designs. Yes. So, I mean, like, they're all three in, like, a triangle, but they're all, like, next to each other. Yeah. Next to blue is green. Next yes. to green is yellow. Yes. And in that space between red and yellow, that's where the orange one is. You see but the I... uh, inverted triangles pointing in, in that circle? No. Okay. Um, oh, wait, do you mean, like, like... I see kind of like where that shape could be, but I don't see any other. I don't see any circular shape right in there. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 there. It's just it's kind of weird. It's kind of wonky, but it is there. It's an awesome design, though. It's like it's it's the kind of thing like you're not gonna see the first time you look at it unless you're looking for it. Correct. So you pointed, yeah, you pointed that out, right? Yeah. And I came up with the the theory that, like, wouldn't it be amazing if they somehow reveal that all the Firestorm, you know, the Firestorm powers are based on the emotional spectrum? How? I'm not sure. But, like, he has the the power to create. As in, like, and a metaphor for life? As in a, a metaphor for the opposite of, you know, death, which takes away, and destruction, which is the other firestorm. Hey, do you know who the hell that Black Lantern in the bottom right is? Is this bugging the hell out of me? Uh, Iron Lantern? <laughs> <laughs> no, I it, figure it's probably just a firestorm villain. I don't know, because I don't... Uh, if I, I, I said this on the forum. I, can't, I honestly God, I cannot remember if I've seen this character before or if she just looks like an old Iron Man suit. Because I, I, honestly, I don't know. It's bothering me. Well, it's a woman. It is. There you go. If, if you've 
if you're out there and you know who this woman is on the cover of Blackest Night number two that has the firestorms on it, because I think the alternate has Hal Jordan in the middle of some zombies, write us. It's, I just just write us. <laughs> Tell us, please. Okay, and now our what was supposed to be a short episode has uh, gone on incredibly long. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> so, shall we close it out, Dan? Sure, why not? Okay. If you would like to email us, you can email us at lanterncast at gmail.com. We have a forum at thecomicforums.com where you can talk with us and other listeners directly. Uh, just go to scroll on down the big list alphabetically, and we are under L. Conversely, you can also go to lanterncast.com and just click on the link to the forum. We also have... Uh, uh, we're on iTunes. We are on iTunes. Are it's we only, still on iTunes? Not only are we still on iTunes, but now that we're back down to just one listing. Is that good? That is good. All right. <laughs> so, so we have that going for us. Well, did that just happen by itself? Or? Yeah, I don't know why it happened. Whatever. We're We're not... Off the air, that's, that's what counts. Right. Um. Oh wait, don't we have like, we have new, new, uh, personal email addresses too? Like. Oh. Yeah. Still haven't given me the password to mine. Right, yeah. I'm Jim at lanterncast.com and you're Dan at lanterncast.com. There could be the most amazing things waiting for us in there, I just can't get to it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I haven't checked recently, so I doubt it. Oh, boy. Are we good? Yeah, I think we're good. Okay. Yeah, so... See you next time. <laughs> so long, everybody. We have to play this Bye! What I ever have to say Words of shame Words I should never say again Why'd you ever have to read between the lines Creating stories